This is the Jesus Freedom Podcast, and I am your host, Jamie Roundtree. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jesus Freedom Podcast. On today's episode, we have an exciting testimony of a good friend of mine I've known for many years on how Jesus set her free from religious bondage, and she was rescued from this religious bondage, and now she's walking in the freedom of God's grace. One more thing before we get into the actual interview. At the end of this interview, I'm going to make a few comments because during the interview, I felt like I made a comment that was unclear or wasn't communicated that great. So I'm going to just clear that up at the very end. Go ahead and get ready and enjoy this interview. Thank you for joining the Jesus Freedom Podcast. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Hope Allen. She lives in the greater Charlotte area with her husband, Chris Allen. She has an amazing testimony of God's mercy and grace. She was a part of a religious cult, but, you know, through the prayers of her family, she was delivered from this cult, and now she lives really under the freedom of God's grace and has an awesome story. Uh, Thank you for joining Hope. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Cool. So uh, do you have, you drinking coffee this morning? Yeah, I am. I (laughs) I always drink coffee. (laughs) I got my coffee. Yeah. So hopefully that, uh, that means we'll be be awake and alive. It's my happy drink. (laughs) It's, uh, it's July 4th. It's Independence Day. So, and we're going to be talking about uh, freedom. That's right. That's right. So that's cool. Yes, it is. All right. Well, let's kind of just get into your story. So yeah. it's an amazing story. So just start off. Tell me a little bit about you and kind of, you know, your background growing up as a child, your family experience. Okay. Well, that's actually what I'll tell in my story. But just to say real quick that I'm the oldest of eight children mm-hmm. and um, my family was Catholic. My parents were nominally uh, religious, I think I became more, I, I can honestly say there was a never a time that I did not know God in my, in my own heart. I remember as a little child going to church and giving my 50 cents that I had gotten to the baby Jesus in the, in the church, you know, that kind of thing. How does that happen? <laughs> I don't know, but all I know is I, I, I had what, a sense. What would 50 cents buy back then? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, when they give you those, those coins, those large coins. So it was very special that I got this. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I can still see it in my mind. It's funny. Anyway. All right. I'll dive in here. Is that okay? Yeah, go, go for ahead. it. Go all for right. It. All right. Well, the reason I want to share my story with you is to tell you how easily one can be pulled into deception. Once that happens, we are fair play for the enemy, enemy of our souls. And by that, I mean the devil. Many people join groups not realizing that they are actually selling themselves into slavery. So how did a person like me, who loved God with all my heart and only wanted more of him, end up in a cult, taking vows, giving away my human rights 
and actually nailing myself to the property where I was being held captive. It happens all the time. Here's how. I grew up the oldest of eight children. I was the firstborn, and my sister came three and a half years later. 11 months after that, my brother was born. They call that Irish twins. After that, a set of boy twins, a single birth, and another set of twins, all in 12 years. That's eight children, by the way. As you can see, I became my mother's right arm. I never played with dolls or even toys. I had real babies to occupy my time. Changing diapers, feeding bottles, and giving baths were all a regular part of my day every day. I'm saying this to say that I did not have a normal childhood. I was never, ever a carefree child, actually. How could I be? I was raised Catholic. I can honestly say that there was never a time I did not know God. I would walk around the circular driveway at night and talk to him. Really, many times, it was I who took my brothers and sisters to Mass at different services. And even in high school, I remember taking the family station wagon to the 6 a.m. Mass before going to school. That's kind of radical. I mean, that's kind of radical. (laughs) Now, were your parents at the 6 a.m. Mass? No, no, no. It was just me when I could drive. I did that all by myself. No one told me. No one asked me. No one nothing. I don't even know why I did that. I just wanted to. Did your brothers and sisters like this? I mean, I was the oldest. So, you know, I did what I did what I wanted to do. I guess I asked my mother. They didn't come. Were you you kind of, I mean, okay. So were you kind of like their mother as well? Like a second mom, I guess you would say. That's a good point, Jamie. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I would say I was definitely like their their mother. I have that tendency anyway. I would say my personality is one that I like to take care of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if honestly this trained me in that or if I'm like that naturally. I, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, there you have it. Let me go on. Um, there was a time in high school then that a boy asked me out. Good looking guy, dreamboat of the school. He asked <laughs> me out. Oh, wow. I, went, I went home. I asked my mother, hey, ma, can I go to the movies with this guy? She goes, no. And she said, because she wasn't ready. Oh, that did not go over well with me, as you can imagine. It was this incident that caused me to rebel. Let me ask you, how, how old were you at this time? I'm just kind of oh, curious. I was what 16. I think I was honestly, I think I was 16, Jamie. 16. 16. Darn, my mother said no. Okay. She was changing, she was changing my younger sister's diaper. I remember she was occupied, she was busy, and she said she just said no, you can't go. Okay, let me ask you this. So within your I mean culturally, you grew up in was it was it New York? Yeah, right? it was New York. Okay, you yes. were in New York, Long Island, okay. yeah. Okay, and then so what was the kind of your was there any like spoken rules about when you could date? I'm just curious. No, 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 not no. that I remember. No, I don't remember the subject and, ever coming up. And then at that at that particular time, I'm really kind of even probably similar. It, it was it wasn't uncommon for 16 year olds to date. Oh no, that okay. that to okay. me is a ripe old age to date. I mean, gotcha. dear okay. Lord, I would think for sure. She should have she should have let me, honestly. Gotcha. But okay. anyway, she right. wasn't she wasn't just being uh, pr- protective. No, so there was, it wasn't like, well, you're my, you know, you're my daughter. You know, we want what's right for you. We, we want you to date at a certain time. So it was just yeah. basically no, because she didn't want exactly. She couldn't handle it. That's what gotcha. it was. Okay. So it was that incident actually that caused me to rebel. Um, I, then I started hanging. I said, all right, I'll hang out with CD characters then. And I was trying to forge a life of my own. And this was my biggest quest. Looking back, it was searching for something for myself. 
I honestly, I did not like my mother growing up. And I believe it was because I resented the fact that my own identity was tied up in helping her. Helping was how I received nurture for myself. Years later, I realized that the very syndrome has a name and it's called codependency. I mean, formally, I never knew what that meant, but I read this book by Melody Beattie called Codependent No More. And I was like, oh my God, that's me to the T. A lot of times you see it with the parents of, uh, with children of alcoholic parents. But in this case, there is no alcohol going on here. It was simply the dynamics of our family. So about the time of the Catholic charismatic renewal, I can remember being in college, attending the Catholic services. And yes, there was a measure of freedom then with this, the, the, um, the renewal going on. Now we could jump over the pews and hug each other. And they call, they call this the kiss of peace. I've, so, never, I've only been to the Catholic church like a couple of times. I well, never it was saw freedom. anything like that. Never well, you, saw, know, you, saw, like you that. saw your friend and you couldn't get out of the row. So you jumped over the pew. I mean, it happened all the time. And so we hugged each other and stuff. And it was freedom, supposedly. And, you know, now we could bring our guitars into church. Great. So I played guitar and I used to bring my guitar, the guitar and play in the, in the thing, mass. But honestly, I felt empty still. I wanted more of God and I did not, not know how to find it. At that time, there was no anointed soaking music, no IHOP Kansas City, no Bill Johnson and Bethel worship like we have now. Mm -hmm. So college has its own challenges when I finally went. And I took advantage then of not having to answer to my parents. I went to an out-of-state school. I was still hungry for God, but the pull of the world and wanting something for myself created quite a conflict within me. It was at this time that somebody handed me a book, and it was called They Speak With Other Tongues by John mm -hmm. and Tibby Sherrill. So as I read it, I got more and more excited. They were describing the more I was searching for. They called it being filled with the Spirit. I never heard of such a thing. I think I'm kind of familiar with the book. So Are you? But it's been a long time. Yeah, it was okay. a long time ago, many years ago. So if I understand, the book is uh, is really kind of the, the Pentecostal yes. um, perspective on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's right. Exactly. Okay. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And okay. I'd never heard of it. Who, who, who talks about that in the Catholic Church? Not then anyway. Maybe they do now, but they did not then. I doubt a lot of them do that now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, I know. Some. It's, well, it's they have. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. The Catholic charismatics do. So anyway, I had never heard of such a thing as a Catholic. And honestly, I'd not, not ever read the Bible, but I had sort of now lately been starting to, or my, one of my friends had given me one and I would dabble a little bit, but I really didn't understand what I was reading. Now did the Catholic, I mean, I, I didn't, I grew up in a Southern Baptist yeah. type tradition, which really was more, had somewhat of an, uh, a little bit of an anti-attitude towards Catholics. Oh, uh, I can okay. understand it, that. It, sure. it depends. It depends on the Baptist church you kind of grow up in, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so do they even really encourage you to really get into the word in any type of way within the Catholic Not at tradition? all. Not at all. Okay. Not back then. Now we're talking seventies, probably yeah. even maybe late sixties. No, no, they didn't. No, we listened to the priest. He was the one that, you know, that, that read the scripture and then he would give his talk. And that was the end of that. No, th no, not that I remember. Gotcha. So there I was. And um, so I was really at the beginning of my journey. And after I learned about the phenomenon, I actually just said, God, can you give this to me? I didn't know people prayed for other people, but you know, I didn't know all that stuff. I just asked God and it appeared that nothing happened. Okay. So eventually I ended up in Boston 
um, at Mass General Hospital, my first job. So therefore, I moved away from my home and to do this. So I was really on my own. One night, as I was walking along the streets of Boston, I decided to go near a church that I knew had this gift in operation. And I just that I described earlier, I didn't go in, but I merely walked by. At that moment, I could actually sense the prayer language the Sherrills had mentioned in their book was gurgling in my chest. I knew that's what it was, but I had no idea how to get it to my mouth. And there was no one to ask. The priest in the confessional? I don't think so. So it remained in my chest. The next thing I knew, I was moving out of the city with a friend. Neither of us could stand living closed in the city. My friend and I were both searching. We had both only known the Catholic Church. So now we really had started to read the Bible for ourselves. Oddly enough, at the end of that book by the Sherrills, uh, they speak with other tongues. There was a paragraph about a community forming nearby, led by two women. My thought was, wow, all those people living for God together? It blew my mind. I described it to my sister as, you're in the kitchen, you need something. Suddenly, a person appears coming towards you with exactly what you need, and you never asked for it. So something in me felt like that's the kind of life I would be living. Okay. One night, as my friend and I were praying after work, we both had the same idea. Let's go visit those two women who started the community. We were crazy enough, and we did just that. We arrived about 7 p.m. Some folks were getting out of their cars, coming back from upholstery class. They, they uh, told us that the two leaders had cold, so we went into the guest house just to talk with them. I was not too thrilled as I had wanted to see those leaders. We had an okay talk, and at the last minute, we were actually walking down the driveway to leave, and one of them came running down the driveway saying, hey, want to stay here tonight? We said, yeah. So they ushered us back into the guest house we had just left. Next morning, we go with them to the Episcopal Mass in town. We ushered over to the house after we had breakfast, and there were the two ladies. This was it. We okay. told them all. Go ahead. So there, so there is. Was there some like connection then, really, between the, the book and the ladies? Like, so no, were... not at all. No, the no. They just they had those that John and Tibby Shebel had mentioned it, but there was no connection. Gotcha. Years later, they took that. They actually took that out. They took that sentence out. It, I believe it's no longer in the book. And was there a connection between the Episcopal Mass and also the, the, the group, the ladies? No, not really. They just happened. They were Episcopal. I was Catholic. When I went there, I remember thinking, gee, this is just like what I do. You know, and it was, it was high Episcopal. So it, in other words, it didn't put up a barrier for me, the fact that they weren't, quote, Catholic. Whatever okay. it was, was enough like what I was used to that it was comfortable. So gotcha. that was interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talked with them. We told them all we've been going through, that we felt like we needed more. They heard us. And then they suggested that we come and live under the discipline of this place. I thought about it knowing I was at the end of my rope. So I said, all right, I'll come for one month. They immediately say, no, three months or nothing. I thought, wow, even though I was desperate, I told them we would think about it. Was there Something. a reason? Was there a reason that was like um, just like it had to be three months, or is that was just like I their, think they they wanted enough time to kind of indoctrinate you, honestly. Okay. So they didn't have like an official like this no, program. No, no, no. Now we have a program. It's three months. It's only three no. months for anybody who comes. Okay, they were just no, saying, not that not that I know of. They just said that because I think they felt like nothing would really happen in one month, and they wanted that time. So you know, I don't know their motives. That's what they said. 
So I was desperate, but I still told him, you know, we're just going to think about it. That's what I said. Something inside me was resistant. And I'm saying now, oh, that I had listened to my inner self, but sadly, I did not. So we later agreed to the prescribed three months. Within a few weeks, we had quit our jobs, packed up our things, and my friend and I were now coming into the driveway. Want to know what happened next? <laughs> they immediately separated us. Oh, so we wow. were, on, yeah, we were on our own. They said they, uh, they said that we were coming to live under the, the discipline and live under the discipline we did. I know what I did. I assume she had the same treatment. I cleaned toilets. I didn't really speak unless spoken to, made beds, especially bunk beds, as this place was known for retreats. I did dishes day and night. It was never ending. It was a lot of work. At the end of the three months, my friend had been told, now get this, Jamie, to begin scrubbing the cellar floor with a toothbrush. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? So you're scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush. Well, that's what they told her to do. And, And it was like, to them, it was testing her obedience. Come on. That's what they That's said. Great. Testing her. So she snapped. <clears throat> <laughs> and she called her mother and decided to leave. Go ahead. Wow. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back okay. and we'll get more into your story. Welcome back to the Jesus Freedom Podcast with my special guest, Hope Allen. Hope Allen. Um, Hope, you were telling us about uh, this lady who had to scrub a floor with a toothbrush. <laughs> this is nuts. That's right. It is nuts. Her obedience was being tested. So uh, guess what? She, I she would have rebelled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she did. She did. And you know, it's funny because later I told her mother, you know, it wouldn't have killed her to just to just start. That's what I actually (laughs) said out of my own mouth. So that's how far gone I was. But anyway, so she calls her mother. She decides to leave. So there I was by myself in that place. They told me, they told me not even to look at the both of them while they were leaving. And I didn't. Okay. So I embraced the life there. I think because even though it seemed harsh, I wanted to know God better. And I thought if this is the way I was all in, besides I had found something for myself just for me. Because I did not know the Bible, I was defenseless. I thought this was a normal part of getting closer to God. You know, the way the cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, all those scriptures. The only thing was that I didn't discern is it was very unbalanced. Did they, did they tell you things like that? Like, oh, hey. yeah. Oh, God, they had t- these two. Uh, yeah, they taught on this way, the cross, they called it. And way back then in the, in the probably early 70s, nobody else was really teaching on that kind of stuff. So they were kind of an anomaly in a good way. And people were coming to listen to this kind of teaching. It was, mm-hmm. it was you know, from the Bible and people thought it was good. The only thing is, it was very unbalanced. So there's also scriptures in the Bible I found later that say, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of bondage. That's in Galatians 5. So sadly, they told us we did not need to read the Bible, only listen to their teachings. P.S. If you ever hear anybody say those words to you, take heed. It's a classic cult statement. (laughs) That should wake you up immediately. You know, or or also if they say only listen to my interpretation right, of the Bible. Yes. And and that that's said in in more uh I think there's more 
places that people hear those kind of words than not in, in, this, in this world today. Anyway, so I ended up taking the vows of, of a sister to this place. I never consulted or even contacted my family. They had long since vilified my family, another sign of classic cult behavior, cutting one off from any other support system, friends, their family. How did I will they- tell you that- how did they vilify your family? I mean, did they even have any contact oh, with your family or what did no, they, what, no, they what, didn't need to tell have me a little contact. bit more about that. They would tell me that, um, you know, that my, my sins, it was all about sin there. My sins were because of my father, that he was a lustful man, or he was this and that all came from him. He was bad. And that then they told me that I had a call and that my family was trying to pull me out of my call, this kind of thing. You know, you have a call and look at that. Your family doesn't want you to, you know, be be here because they want you out and that's you know if god wants you what you know so that it was that kind of a thing but it was very much anyway as i learned later that's more of a catholic doctrine that's not scripture i'm sorry there's no there's no scripture in there so if i'd known the bible that's what i keep saying and that's what my point is good lord so um they cut me off from everyone and so I just want to add this little piece about, because remember I had asked the Lord to fill me with his spirit. So after I went there, I actually went to the bathroom by myself and I just tried to get that language to my mouth. So I was saying like, da, 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 da. And soon that language came pouring out of my own mouth. So I had been baptized in the Holy spirit, but it didn't do me any good at that point because I didn't, I just never pursued it. I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. So I just wanted to add that because I did, I did finally receive my own prayer language, which was awesome. Okay, cool. So another thing that transpired after a while was that I was required to take vows. I did not realize it then that the Bible says not to vow. I realized in James 5, 12, it says, above all my brethren, do not swear, nor never take an oath, nor by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Else, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Fancy that. I, that's actually in the Bible. So there were vows of different stages, all completely contradictory to scripture. Here's one of the first ones. Listen to this. And I accept as part of my marriage portion, supposedly being married to Jesus, the temptations and sorrows, the crosses and contempts, which fell to him. What? Ignoring and treating as nothing the full free life Jesus died to give us. Why do you think he suffered those things? Oh, it's just, it's, it galls me to think that, they, that I said that out of my own mouth and they, in, in all good conscience, their thought that they were telling me to say things that were right. Interestingly so, enough. So they were trying to tell you that you were going to be marrying Jesus. That's right. I actually had a wedding ring to prove it. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's right. Interestingly enough, I never felt his presence at, at this supposed marriage. He never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him. He's probably weeping. Anyway, one of the later vows actually was to accept any discipline the leaders deemed necessary for me for the sanctification of my soul. Looking back, yeah, I know. Looking back, I know now that this is the job of the Holy Spirit. Why would anyone ever vow anything like that? You know, it's it's giving your rights away. It's stupid. Anyway, now I know that. Okay, another principle they adapted fully in this place was called living in the light. It comes from the scripture in 1 John 1, 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. Light sessions, as they called them, became a way of life. 
At every meal, in fact, there was someone being roasted, and they usually ended up in tears. Not good for digestion. I'll so tell you. Light, light session was roasting people? Well, it was like saying, uh, hey, I saw you, uh, and I knew that you, you were angry. I knew it. And then so, and, and they're trying to tell you that you were wrong. And so then so-and-so over there pipes up and says, you know, I saw the same thing. And when you did this, I saw that. And they, and they all chimed in. So it's like, you, it's like fault finding. You know, exactly. It's, exactly. It's fault Is there, finding. Was there, I mean, so I mean, I'm assuming the purpose was like maybe shame or something. Is that just another well, form it was of control? Well, it was to show, it was, yeah, it was a form of control. Uh, it was to show you your sins so that you could see, oh, okay. Uh, I shouldn't okay. do that. Anymore. So the, the light to get your sins into the light. Exactly. That is exactly uh, right. Gotcha. But what you needed to understand was that if you did not speak up against the one being laid out, you would most likely be next. You know, <laughs> so 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 that made you then you made yourself say something that you saw just because you didn't want to be next. I mean, it was nasty. Honestly, it was very nasty. Nasty, nasty. And he, and here they think you think it's scriptural because you're walking in the light, supposedly. They forgot, it says, if you see one somebody in a fault, correct them with gentleness in case, you know, so that you won't fall into the same thing. You know, and, that's nor- and, and, and normally, I mean, you don't want to do that publicly. You do that. You start off privately. I mean, that's right. what Jesus says. Well, you, go to, you go to the person one-on-one. That's right. You know, if they, and if it's a serious enough fault, I don't think it means every occurrence, you know, you gave somebody the middle finger some, you know, one day because somebody <laughs> cut you off. Yeah. Right. And you, you go to your brother like, yeah, all right. I was mad that one time. I don't do it all the time. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's necessarily saying that I say this is kind of a habitual or consistent kind of issue. That's what, to me, that's what Jesus is saying. And then if that doesn't work, you know, I, I really a common example will be someone living like an adultery or sexual immorality. Yeah. You know, they and they refuse. You know, I know. I'm, no, that's I, that's got to be called out. And then and yeah. then if they won't repent, then yeah. two more go to him. And then and then I don't think you have to really go in front of the whole church. No, I think I think no. that just the leadership of the church can address the issue. Right. At that point. Yeah. But these were these were little things. Honestly, these were not by that by any means like that. Little, little small way, way, way smaller things that were I can't honestly, I can't even think of an instance, which I'm happy I can't because it was it was never ending. Literally, this is how we lived every meal things would be brought up because we had, you know, there was a bunch of, it ended up 70 people in a room at one point, the whole 70 the whole people would be telling seven, me these things. Yeah. 70 people were, were that was the extent of, of the people I was with in the room that lived together, you know, living and working together and eating together, of course. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You, you are not, I'm telling you, anybody at any time could come up with anything they didn't like about you. Wow. They, was they were just beating you down. It, oh, they just uh, beat, beat duh, you down. Tell me about it. You, they do. They really, they did beat you down, honestly, till, till they would say to me, oh, hope you, you're, you're like a jack in the box. You always pop up. You never stay down. That's what they would say. I'm like, uh, I just, I just looked at him. I didn't know what to say. I look, look, I'm glad I never, I would always pop up. Thank God (laughs) I was still alive anyway. So years went by, I was completely cut off from my own family for a good 17 of those 28 and a half years that I stayed. During these years, I was put on various disciplines, for instance, silence. So like for two months, one does not speak. 
for me, they added, don't even write notes telling me they did not hear what I had want to hear what I had to say. One of those times I was on silence and I was also on a 40 day grape fast. That means you only eat grapes, raisins and grape juice for 40 days. So I was hanging on the pew at this particular time in the chapel. It was my assigned hour to pray and the other person had not shown up. Suddenly I heard or felt something above me to my right and it and what I heard although there was no voice said hope I'm like what was that and, and suddenly I began thinking about that word hope so as mm. I walked out of the chapel that day I began thinking I wonder if it's supposed to be my name I told no one I was on silence so this was all within my own head I'm thinking this a week later I get sent out of the blue down to the island of Bermuda the leaders have been given a piece of land to go and rest on, and folks like us were sent down there to take care of this property. So as the plane landed, the door opened. I actually felt a new breeze enter the place like a page was turning. I got taken off silence when I went down there, and they told me they wanted me to be received formally into the Anglican communion to break with my Catholic roots. They had befriended the Anglican Bishop of Bermuda, and he was the one that would do this service. It seemed nonsensical to me, like... Yeah. Okay, good. Sure. But I saw my chance. So I said, all right, then I'll do it. But can I change my name to Hope? They agreed. From that point forward, anytime anyone called my name, it reminded me that God had spoken hope to me. That was awesome. I realized later in retrospect that when one swallows a small amount of deception, they open themselves up to the whole lot. The lie that I had swallowed was that I needed to obey these two leaders and not and join their group in order to get closer to God. So not true, but I couldn't see it at the time. My parents and family, once I actually did get in touch with them so many years after the fact, tried to convince me that this was a lie, but they soon realized I was deceived. Once that happens to a person, they need to wake up from the inside out. They will actually fight anyone trying to tell them the truth from the outside and fight I did. I would not listen to my parents. I would just say, no, no, mom, no. And I wouldn't listen to her. So to my own soul's detriment, but I was, mm. I was deceived. So about at the 25 year mark, they decided in this place to have a retreat. I had just read this book, Codependent No More. I got hold of it quite by accident. And I actually snuck up into the attic to read it. <laughs> As I read it, it, it struck my heart. It described me to myself. And then the retreat began. So I was kind of a mess. I attended. I listened. I saw the stupidity of what was going on and actually tried to speak up. They were trying to let the younger ones in the place correct the older ones, and they were making a complete mess. I got so upset I did something most uncharacteristic of my behavior up to now. I walked out of that retreat. I went up into the attic of the place that we lived it was my own space. Mm -hmm. The Lord, the Lord spoke so tenderly to me through the Bible. I decided, all right. I said, God, I'll try to go back. That turned out to be disastrous. The, the lady says, well, it doesn't look like you've changed much. I said, well, goodbye. And I walked out again. Now, this is from a very obedient person all these years. So this was, this was a little strange behavior for me. But I think I was kind of unthawing at this time. So back to the attic I went. As the folks began to come home to the big house for dinner, I could see them out the attic window. I went down and tried to slip in unnoticed. Oh no, that was not happening. 
there was actually no place for me. I panicked. That was the worst moment of my entire life. That, that one right there. Finally, someone did pull up a chair and I did have a seat. No one would make eye contact with me. That is a very nasty feeling. But one I was accustomed to after all these years. I was, quote, black, as you call it. After dinner. You mean like the black sheep? Yeah, like that. Yeah, you just, you know that you're just black. Nobody, Nobody looks at you. They will not even acknowledge your presence. They would actually say that out loud. Don't acknowledge her presence. Was this a temporary thing like for discipline or? Yes, it was, it was called a discipline. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a way of life all the time, but you got put on these, on these things. So at that moment I was black. So after dinner, the assistant to the leaders came over and she gave me these instructions. She said, go to the little house, which is a small cottage with two bunk beds and a bathroom on the property. She said, stay there until you're told to do otherwise. Okay. Then she said, do this. You pray two hours in the morning in tongues without stopping. Then you do the same for two hours in the afternoon without stopping. Then pray another two hours in the evening without stopping. They told me they were going to send small teams of my friends to make sure that I did not have mental problems. Honestly, I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. Did they encourage you to pray in tongues there? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. So this was weird. No, they did not. Okay. We, we knew each other did in some ways. We didn't really use this gift from God in any way. So this was a strange kind of a discipline. I don't think the lady knew what she was really doing in that. But anyway, let me finish the story. You'll see what happened. So <laughs> I was obedient. I did just that. I did whatever I could to occupy my mind so as to keep that language going. So in other words, I didn't really think about God. I wasn't engaging my mind with God. All I was doing was praying in this language that God had given me. So I took walks. I watched out the windows as drug deals were going on at the harbor. I kept this going for four straight days. If you do the math, six hours a day, 24 hours of praying in my prayer language, which the Bible says in Romans 8 is praying according to the perfect will of God, I will never forget the last hour. The anger in me was rising. It became so strong that I thought I might do something dumb like run away. So I held on to my knees. I grabbed a pen and paper. That's always close because you're always supposed to be writing down your sins. So I had that right there. And I write, why am I the sacrifice? My whole family loves you. They're enjoying themselves. They're visiting one another, traveling. And here I am in this miserable place. What the heck is wrong? And it felt so good to say, honest, even to myself, just to say that. So what happened next was the head lady calls me and she says, So what do you have to say for yourself? I looked her straight in the eye and said, I don't belong here. I know her jaw dropped. I really mean it. Her jaw dropped. Where will you go? She said back to the larger group. I said quite confidently, I don't know. And so I returned to the life there knowing that something had changed, but I did not exactly know how to implement it. That praying in tongues described in Romans 8 verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with perseverance. I knew that God had called me hope. Then it says, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what what we should pray for as we ought. And I sure didn't. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning, which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for us saints according to the will of God. 
No wonder I was seeing the truth after 25 years of deception. The Holy Spirit had been praying through me according to the perfect will of God. Can you ask for anything better than that? And I would add, you know, it says in Corinthians, it says one speaks in a tongue. He, he speaks unto God. He doesn't speak right. unto man. He speaks right. utterance and it's that's for good. his own uh, building up, his own edification. Yes, that's right. That's good. Well, that's what happened. And I, I had not a clue. So this was God orchestrating this. He was orchestrating my deliverance. So after, after this, they came, they offered me a leave of absence. And I said, no. And I knew I shouldn't leave at that time because I was at the bottom of the barrel and I would leave in disgrace. And after 25 years, I'm like, oh, no, you don't. I'm not doing this. So two more years transpired. During this time, something was different in me. I had woken up and began to ask questions like, why did the leader have so much power over us? Was that really right? Oh, uh, they didn't like this that I was, I was speaking this to anyone and everyone. Honestly, I was just, I, I was really questioning. So one day the leader called me in and told me that they were going to send me to the mission field, that it was time. In typical numb fashion, I said, okay, whatever. Um, that's fine. Go ahead. It turned out they wanted to send me to a Romanian orphanage and they had already made the phone call. People disappear in Romania. <laughs> Sorry. So anyway. Now, what, hold on. When, when, when was this actually? When, what? Do you know, remember what year oh, approximately? I left in 99. So um, it was probably 98, 97. Okay. So this is right before. I was thinking, because I know back in the 80s, Romania was under a communist uh -huh. government. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I just know it. I'm just so grateful. Anyway, all I know is what happened at that moment. I feel like it was divine intervention because my own brother called and asked if I could come home to take care of my mother because she needed heart surgery. And I was the most free of the family. It was a crazy request because given my history with this place, you know, that wasn't where they had cut me off and all that, but they agreed to it. And honestly, I think they just wanted to get rid of me at mm. that point because I was, I was uh, creating problems for them. So I went home. My mother had the surgery. I stayed in her home. I was certainly beginning to thaw out. In fact, as I stayed, I remember I had this overwhelming desire to be water baptized. And I thought that was... And you I, mean by immersion, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm thinking, what? that's crazy because I'd formally mocked my own family doing that when I had heard about it. You know, after I left, just to say, my whole family, after I left the family, they all in one year got baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit after receiving the Lord, all of them. So that's nine people. They all got saved. And wow. so there they were. And I remember them telling either they, they sent me a tape or they, I don't know how they wrote to me. A lot of times I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to read what they wrote, but this one time I heard that they had been baptized and I'm like, Oh, why do they need to do that? We got baptized as infants. We were baptized already. What are they doing? Are they crazy? That's, that was my attitude. So for me to have this desire inside was very strange. I saw no reason for it, but the inner feeling was relentless. So my brother, now a pastor, told me I could come home. I could come with his church to the retreat they had planned, and they were going to do baptisms. So this was the last time I called the place to ask permission. I said, they said, do you want to go? I said, yes. They said, okay, then go. But I didn't tell them I was going to be water baptized. <laughs> I, I neglected to add that fact. Anyway, so the time came for the retreat. My other sister stayed with my mother and off I went. My brother did that baptism as one of the first events. 
I can honestly say that when I came up out of that water, something had changed. People witnessing said it was one of the most powerful baptisms they had ever seen. Looking back, I realized that in that act where the Bible says that the old man is drowned in the water of baptism, the deception broke off of me. Later, as I attended the retreat, I heard good, sound, balanced Bible teaching. I knew I needed to speak to the man who was leading it. I ended up having a meeting with he and my brother. He asked questions like, how did you get to that place? What scriptures did the Lord give you? As I listened to what I told him, I realized how very naive I had been. There was nothing of substance there, not to make a life's decision like that. It was very foolish what I did. So he finally said, after listening, he said, I need to tell you that what you are describing to me is unbiblical. And I thought, unbiblical? I saw all the 28 years go down the drain, everything I'd strive for. I said, listen, all I ever wanted is God. If that is not God, I am not going back. And I meant it. And my brother, who had prayed so hard for me from the other corner of the table, he peeps up. He says, I don't think you should step foot back on that property. And I said, you're right, because I knew what they do. They would roast me once again. Oh, hope your family has finally gotten to you and the like. And I, I just didn't want to put myself in that situation. So the retreat leader counseled me to write letters, to thank them and tell them of my intention. My brother said that he would help me write the letters. It worked. I wrote the letters. They wrote me back in the same way that I had written them. I was free. Was there something like really keeping you there? I mean, like, I mean, like no. um, you could just leave when you, you had free will to leave, right? I, well, well. <laughs> Yeah, you could, people did. They walked out. They left. People did. And, and nobody would go after you, let's say, or police wouldn't come and find you. It wasn't that kind of thing. But the way they got you was you're leaving your call. You're going to end up, you know, in, a, in hell in a bad way and all this. Your, your life More will become condemnation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. So they, it was all they beat like you down. That. Yeah, right. So that, exactly. Right. So the interesting thing is my brother told me I was, quote, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians 3.14. And that was helpful to me because previously I've been told that to leave one's call was to disobey God. And this is really more a Catholic doctrine than a biblical principle. It was becoming clear to me. And that verse in Philippians really helped me. I was so grateful that he told me that. Well, that began a whole different kind of life, but something very uh, kind of interesting is through all the years of, of uh, living there and wanting to get closer to God, becoming a nun, living celibate, my overwhelming heart's desire was to be married. I wanted to be married deep down in my heart, and I did not realize how important it was to pay attention to what was in my heart. And I would say that to anyone, pay attention. It's very important. So as that's I very, try, that's very important to to mention. You know, there's two sides of this. It doesn't, you know, I mean, God answered your prayer. God doesn't necessarily give us everything that's in our heart, but it's important to to speak to God what's in our heart. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I've heard this in so many testimonies. Yeah, including people who came out of Islam. Yeah, that it started with a uh, an honest conversation with yeah. God from the yeah. heart. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I lived that. I found that out. 
So as I tried to piece together my life and start again, oh, yes, I realized that, that I wanted to be married. So what I did was um, I realized I could get married. So I asked people all over to pray for me. I, re- I, wasn't, I wasn't ashamed. I just said, hey, I really want a husband. You, can you pray for me? And they did. I wrote out the verses that God himself had said about the subject and quoted them back to him like, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Another verse, it's not good for man to be alone. I told him that this is what I wanted. I wanted that the man, when he first saw me, he would know who I was and would instantly pursue me. And by know who I was, I meant he would know that I was to be his wife. And the reason is because I was hearing stories at this, at this time is probably in the early, it was probably 2000. I was hearing stories about how women would be calling up men and chasing after men. And way back in the 60s and 70s, you didn't do that. The man was the one that pursued. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted. So uh, that's, that's what was in my heart. So I actually wrote it down. On a, I wrote out a big, a big long prayer because one of my friends had said, I want you to write down what you think you want. And I said, no, I can't do that. What do you mean what I think I want? I want what God wants. No, she said, I want to know what I'm praying for. So she made me write down these things. And then I realized what I want was somebody that would know that I was to be his wife when he first saw me. That's what I wanted. I wrote down a few other things, but that was the key, the key phrase for me. So during this time, I tried to get up to speed. I attended my brother's church, reading my Bible. It was a joy to hear the truth. I actually ended up at Fire School of Ministry. Um, That was formed out of the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida. Some of you may have heard of that. They sent a team to New York City from there to see if this type of school was of any interest. And I heard about it at a big rally close to New York City called The Call New York. These were done by Lou Engel, and he wanted, he went to different cities in the nation. He called it a solemn assembly to fast and pray for the nation and the ending of abortion. So something, somebody handed me a flyer at that event. I left the field that day and I'm looking at the flyer. I'm thinking, I think I'm supposed to go to this school. So I'd gotten a job in, in my field of physical therapy. Thank God I had been trained before I ever went to the place. And as it turned out, I could use the Long Island Railroad, take the train to school in the morning and then take the train back and go to work in the afternoon. So it was a win-win situation. So they accepted a person like me who was probably the age of those young people's grandmothers but mm-hmm. they accepted me. <laughs> oh, wow. So I know it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. So as I attended that school that was birthed in the revival, my spirit came alive. I heard teachers that had been teaching in the revival. I was worshiping with one of the worship leaders who had led worship in the revival. One could not have gotten any more pure, fresh Holy Ghost training than this. I have to say it was one of some of the most awesome months turning into two years in New York and then one year in North Carolina as the leader had merged what was happening in Pensacola and what was happening in New York to one location in Concord, North Carolina. So that's how I got to the Carolinas. So I moved there and I continued. I have to say that the unconditional love of these fellow students of mine, although I was much older physically, was so healing after the abuse I had suffered for so many years in that other place. Oh, God knows how to orchestrate our lives once we truly get a hold of him. So what, what happened about the husband? Well, I prayed with a group under Lou Engel called J-Hop, which means Justice House of Prayer, in New York City on Friday nights. There was a young girl there who I, had, I heard about a few months before at a different kind of a meeting. 
and through a series of supernatural events, really, I met her. She was much younger than I was, but she really wanted to be friends. And she began to call me. She didn't live close, but she wanted to call me to pray. On one of the times that she came out to visit me, she mentioned that she had a good friend that was a lot like me. I didn't think that was a good thing. <laughs> I thought, frankly, that I was a bit strange. So I told her, well, I guess you could give him my name. But as it turns out, she did not. Hmm. So I'm thinking about this and I thought, all right, I'm going to ask her once. So I asked her and she said, well, I realized he said he would never marry an Italian. And, <laughs> and, and I was 100% Italian. <laughs> Don't ever say the never word. Anyway, so she did not want to lose both our friendships. So as God would have it, she finally forwarded a note I had written that she thought would interest him. He was interested, all right. He had actually been seeing my little Facebook profile picture on her site and other friends of hers sites. So my picture had actually interested him. Although he knew my last name was Latin and he was like, mm, sounds Italian. I don't know. Anyway, that's how it got started. We began using Facebook, then emailing. Then we actually met. The words I had written in my prayer to the Lord for a husband came 100%. Sorry, it still makes me cry. <laughs> so he recognized that I was to be his wife and he instantly pursued me. I was a little more reticent, having not been a part of the dating game in over 30 years. So the Lord had his way, and I realized, I realized that God was in this, and then I allowed myself to fall in love with him. So <laughs> um, we are now happily married, of course, um, about the Lord's business. How, how many we, years have you been married now? Um, 13, I think, we're coming okay. up. We had, well, we were married 12-12, so last year was our 12th anniversary, so... 12 years on 12, 12. Uh. <laughs> so now this next year will be our 13th year. We, we're, we're about the Lord's business every day of our lives individually and together. And we don't have any children, of course, being married at, the, at age 61 for the first time. And he had, wow. never been, he had never been married either. The Lord's, I look at it this way. The Lord saved this man for me. He heard my heart. I think, honestly, sometimes the, the Lord is interested in the language of your heart, and he hears it. Whether you know enough to verbalize it or not, he's hearing your heart. So that's, that's what I believe happened, because he saved this man for me. So every day we take care of the Lord's children. He sends us people he wants us to care for, and we do. So in closing, I want to thank my mother <laughs> and my family for never giving up on me. It took almost 30 years to see me free, but they never stopped praying. I believe that that was all important in this story and I am truly blessed. So, wow. Thank you all for right. listening. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So let's just, let's, let's kind of close out here in a couple minutes. So I just want to ask you just one last question. If the, sure. So let's just say there's someone listening to this, maybe let's say, let's take two scenarios. Someone maybe that's kind of in your situation, maybe was in your situation, but then it's also someone who has a loved one. Yeah or friend, close someone they, they care about, this is in some type of group, what, yeah. would you, what would you say to that, those people? You know, let's start yeah. with the person that would be in that group and then the, the person who is a loved one. Like if, you're, if you find yourself in that group, you mean? Yeah, let's start there. Like someone's in, let's say someone comes across this and they, they're religious in some yeah. ways. Yeah, I would know. say, honestly, I would say, ask God from your heart for the truth. I did not speak that part of it, but that was really the prayer that got me free. I said to God one night, I got so desperate. I said, God, 
I don't care if you kill me. All I want is the truth. I know something's wrong and I don't know what it is. So please show me the truth. And wow. for the first time, Jamie, I felt like my prayer hit, hit, hit his throne. When be previously, I feel like I couldn't connect with him. Honestly, all those years, I so didn't all the, feel. So all the years in this, that, that's, that's really amazing and awesome. Yes. Because it's a different scenario. So I've listened to many testimonies, people coming out of Islam. Yeah. That, it's a very similar. Yes, you it know, is. Yes, it, it is. They, it comes back, they will, because they, they have all these different prayers. Right, 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 know, right. Yes. But it's that prayer of that sincere, heartfelt prayer. Right. God, I want to, I truly want to know you. I want to know the truth. Right. And whatever that means. Exactly. You know, he'll show you. Yes. And yeah. he'll take it from there. If your heart is sincere, which I was more than more than a hundred percent sincere and wrapped up, he, he orchestrated it. He's the one I say, he pushed the eject button and got me out. Cause I didn't do that. He did it. Yeah, so he rescued that's what, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then let's, what about the person who maybe has a loved one or a friend in some type of group like this? How, what would be the best way do you think to encourage them or to approach this person that's in this group? Well, I would certainly build a bridge to them. Honestly, my brother, my youngest brother, this is another brother now said that he, God told him to build a bridge to me that I would one day walk out on. So this man literally would come and visit me because God told him to. I didn't know what was going on, but he built this little bridge to me. So he'd be nice to me. He asked me questions. You know, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't rattle me. He wouldn't say you're wrong. He would just be, be nice to me. Build this bridge of friendship. And then at the right time, God can use that. But in the meantime, then you're praying, you as the outside person are praying for your person gripped in this kind of deception to wake up. Because if you confront them from the outside, they're going to fight you. But if you pray for them to wake up from the inside, which is exactly what happened to me, I woke up and guess where I went first? That very brother's house. That's where I went. Wow. So cool. it, it was true. Yeah. Yep. All right. I, I very much appreciate your time. I thank you so much for your amazing testimony. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed and listened to this and uh, hope you guys have a good day. Thank you so much, Jamie. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Hope. As I mentioned, I do want to clear up something I said. I first of all, I want to say I'm not an advocate of flipping people off in traffic. And I think the point I was trying to make was normally you're not going to confront people uh, unless they've actually directly sinned against you. Now, if they flipped you off, then yes. You know, if you saw a friend or church member, you know, flipping someone off in traffic, you know, one time, personally, I'm probably not going to say anything to that person. If, if I knew them and I saw they were doing something like that or uh, consistently, then that, that would warrant, you know, having a conversation. So that was what I wanted to clear up. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, the Jesus Freedom Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Hope you're encouraged by this testimony and I hope you have a great day. Music